ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, on the ESG Report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. I'm absolutely thrilled to be back with my at least annual visit with Tricia Nasco. Tricia, it's so great to be able to have you back on the pod and kind of bring us up to date on what's going on and where we may be going into the future. So first of all, welcome back. Oh, Tom, thanks so much. It's my favorite conversation of the year and thrilled to be joining you again on also my favorite topic, ESG. So could you tell us your current role at Silver? Absolutely. It's my tremendous pleasure to serve as the managing director and head of ESG strategy at Silver Regulatory Associates. We have three distinct business lines, compliance and regulatory, ESG and due diligence. And I feel very honored to have the pleasure of working along the ESG team and to to really be thinking through the challenges and issues and really fun opportunities that our clients are facing in this space. Earlier today, I actually interviewed a chief sustainability officer, and he really hammered the message that it was the market that was driving his work and his work for his company. So I wanted to maybe flip that around to the focus you guys have on the regulated space Mm -hmm. and why or is ESG approach so critical to investments now um, even more so? It's a fun space to be in. It's a growing space. And I appreciate what your earlier counterparty shared with you in terms of market trends and market forces. I would add on to that, that we really recognize in 2023 and and really the end part of 2022, how the evaluation of good ESG practice is more frequently being used as a proxy for good business practice. And so where a team or a firm or a company doesn't have a perspective on how these factors are impacting either their investments, their work, their operations, et cetera, it is seen to be as an oversight and a a pretty meaningful oversight of that company manager, management team, et cetera. And the more that that signal is used to think about how a company is comprehensive, not only in understanding immediate risk, but also understanding what risk looks like on a longer time horizon, whether it's two, three, five, seven, nine, et cetera, years, we recognize that this is the way that managers and investors and the industry is going. He even went so far as to say he didn't think you would have access to capital markets unless you had a robust sustainability or an ESG program. Are fund managers really taking it that far as well? That might be a bridge too far for today in 2023. Um, Suffice it to say that there are many managers that are able to raise money without having a robust ESG program in place. But I do agree with the trend. I do agree that if you are a manager that hasn't gone through fundraise in a period of time and you haven't seen the request list from a placement agent or from LPs looking to diligence you, and you're not aware of the extensive questions that ESG present with respect to those investigations, I think you really do stand to see yourself having fallen behind not only what is industry best practice, but what is expectation. And so I think because of this 
sort of shifting time where we have lots of fund managers that haven't fundraised in the last two or three years. There is a wake-up call that when they come into fundraising mode, it, it can be quite shocking. And so the entry point to capital markets, I think, is broad, but not having this, I do think, is quite an, quite a significant impairment. And maybe we wouldn't go so far as to say you couldn't attract any money, but I do believe your conversations with larger institutional investors, European LPs, LPs coming from areas that have sophisticated ESG practices, which could be domestic or international, those conversations will be tough. And, and managers should be aware of that. One of the reasons I so enjoy working with you and Visa and, and having you guys on the pod is you don't simply look back on what happened. You actually help the market look forward. And you did this this year with a publication of a paper around five guidelines. So I was wondering if we could just go through that and what are some of the things, not only that you saw, but you're really recommending fund managers consider going forward. Thanks for the shout out for that publication, Tom. We appreciate it. I think one of the one of the greatest benefits to sitting where we where we are is that we see so many different practices. We see requests for information from so many different angles, and we have really strong relationships with some of the allocators and standard setters and in industry bodies to keep a good pulse on where things are likely to go in the near term. And so, I think we feel it's our responsibility to share what we know and to hope hopefully help ensure that our clients are guarded against future risks and and requests for information coming their way. At the top of the year, we spent some time thinking about where we think managers should focus and happy to go through each of the five points. But I think the one, if I could drive anything home from this conversation, would be around encouraging managers to look at their ESG program to really test it, to ask the question, is every line in here defensible? Do we have a way to substantiate everything we're stating? Are we consistent in how we're messaging this program? Are we sharing half of this information with one LP and half of this, a, a different half of information with another LP? Are we able to show practice that supports this program? Are we able to show documentation of how these ESG factors make their way into investment evaluation, even if just to say, you know, we identified these issues and we're going to follow them over the course of of the investment life cycle. We appreciate that not all managers are in a position to, you know, quote, do something about a risk that they see. And many, many of our managers are minority owners. And so working through the, the tools and uh, capabilities that that sort of more limited focus or more limited control allows with respect to a factor. Not to get too far away from the point, I think that if you haven't updated your ESG policy since 2021, it is absolutely outdated. The space has grown, the standards have changed, the questions investors are asking have changed, priorities have shifted, and certainly, at least our experience is, managers are very likely doing more than what their policy states. And we know in the course of routine SEC exam, if a regulator comes in and says, you know, show us your ESG practices, if you didn't document it, you might as well not have done it. So we also want managers to put themselves in a position where they're able to demonstrate all of the ways that they've evolved, matured, the people they've hired or the programs they've adopted or the 
maybe data that they're now incorporating into their evaluation. Since 2007, I have said the following, three most important things of any compliance program are the following, document, document, document. Because as you (laughs) exactly said, if you haven't documented and a regulator comes looking, it's not there in their eyes, it never happened. So first of all, I'm extraordinarily pleased to know document, document, document (laughs) is equally valid in the ESG world. Let me pick up on a couple of other things you said. Um, You mentioned accurate reporting. Certainly, I think one of the things that has got the public's eye is when they hear regulators bringing in action for inaccurate reporting. Mm -hmm. And so I think fund managers and really beyond even regulated industries, those in sustainability, have to make sure that whatever they say is accurate. Is is that a message that, that you're able to get out to your client base as well? More so than ever before. And the SEC's task force on ESG and climate provided to the marketplace a couple of examples of how important that particular point is, Tom. So 2022 saw an enforcement action against BNY Mellon, saw an enforcement action against Goldman Sachs. They're not the same failures, but the SEC identified failures in sort of a similar category, if you will, where BNY Mellon had indicated that each and every time for a particular fund, ESG evaluation would be undertaken. And in the SEC's examination of those statements, it found instances of failure where not each and every time ESG factors had been evaluated. And then Goldman Sachs, um, evaluated by the same task force, found that at first policy and procedure to describe or to guide their ESG practices didn't exist. And then upon the adoption of those policies and procedures were not consistently followed. And so I don't know that there is a better demonstration of where the SEC's focus is than an enforcement action, but I think it's an easy lesson learned. You must do what you say you're doing And if you cannot do what you say you're doing, then you must qualify it and you must qualify it appropriately. I should, as a a non-accredited investor, as my own person, I feel that the test is I should understand what is being done at the management level with respect to ESG practice by reading the disclosures that are put forth. And if I were to ask questions and follow-ups as an investor, I would expect that that manager could show me how those activities were being undertaken, who was responsible for them, how often they occurred, and whether or not there were any violations. I don't think it's rocket science, but I do think it's important, more so today than maybe ever before, that ESG is taken with the same carefulness, caution, attentiveness as a compliance program as any other policy that a firm or a manager adopts. Are you seeing a perhaps increased standardization or at least moving towards some reporting that both fund managers can utilize, but equally importantly in the market, if uh, like you or I as an investor wanted to look and we can read across several different funds? Um, so last year, 2022 was such a big year for tw- for ESG, and I think 2023 will be as well, but specifically for private equity managers, an organization called EDCI, or the Data Convergence Initiative, was born. And this convened together many large GPs and 
uh, allocators as well, to agree on a standard set of disclosures that collectively members of this organization would commit to reporting out on in a consistent basis so that investors would have information coming from this membership base that would look the same, sound the same, be reported in the same way, being reported using the same units, be reported using the same methodology. And increasingly, we see our clients at Silver signing on to this initiative or ultimately adopting these uh, data points as part of their own ESG data collection effort or part of their uh, due diligence effort with a, with a new investment. Um, there are other efforts undertaken for the credit managers and hedge fund managers as well, and, and those efforts are newer. So we expect that we'll see some standardization in that space too. Equally, the International Sustainability Standards Board, or the ISSB, has been working toward establishing its standards, and we do expect to see pretty significant alignment with those standards in the coming, call it hopefully six to 12 months as they're announced and then a framework for utilization is developed. So I know in our conversations in the past time, we've talked about how the capability and capacity to report is so disparate and managers could use any methodology under the sun and everything was fine because there was no standard. But the more we have these frameworks that institutions, regulators, and industry bodies are pointing to, I think then it creates an easier identification when managers are ready to report what they'll point to and what they will use. Uh, is there, um, well, uh, let me just then say or ask, maybe down the road beyond 2025 into 2030, do you, do you expect this sort of, sounds like, I don't want to say wild ride, but certainly ride that you've been on and the greater ESG community has been on uh, for regulated industries and fund managers to continue in importance and become more robust with really a lot of guardrails around it? Um, absolutely. I think we're going to see, the answer is yes. I think we're going to see asset allocation to ESG only increase. Bloomberg put out a study maybe a year and a half ago that hypothesized the global AUM that would be managed pursuant to a sustainable or ESG mandate over the course of a 10-year period. And it just sort of increases 30 or 50% each year. The, the Global Sustainability Investment Alliance puts together a report of all sustainable assets managed in a handful of developed economies every two years. Their 2022 report is anticipated this year. We expect that those numbers will also increase. But I think important to this is in step with the increase in assets managed pursuant to these to these strategies, to these different approaches to sustainability or responsible investment or ESG is also the in-step progress and the in-step proliferation of regulation. So to sort of address your concept of guardrails, yes, I think the more that firms are talking about their ESG practices, the more regulators want to see that those ESG practices are reasonable that those ESG practices, again, match what investors have been told. The United States is a good example. We saw three proposed rules last year. The ESG disclosure regulation proposal, which would be for private fund managers working toward more standard disclosures, including disclosures on Form ADV. The climate uh, disclosure regulation, which would impact public funds. Um, 
there's expected to be some litigation with respect to that before it becomes final, but we do believe that that will become final in time. And then the investment company names amendment where funds that carry this term ESG, if the amendments are finalized, will ultimately be required to demonstrate underlying assets matching to that name up to a threshold matter. So um, even in the US, we're seeing these guardrails like become more obvious, not to say anything of the rapid pace of change in the European Union and in the United Kingdom, in Japan, in China, increasingly in Canada. Many other countries are also uh, sort of onboarding to this from a regulatory perspective. So we know the players are going to be vast, not only in 2023, but certainly beyond. Well, Trisha, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I wanted to ask if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself or really the topics we've touched on, what would be the best place or places for them to go? Tom, thanks so much. I can't believe how quick our conversations go. We could do this all day long. I am so happy for listeners to reach out to me directly. My contact information is listed on our website, www.silverregulatoryassociates.com. Also, you can reach out to Tom, who will put you directly in touch with me if you'd like. And I really look forward to questions and Tom hopefully will have time for a follow-up on what happened in 2023 as we get closer to the end of the year. Well, Trisha, I wanted to thank you again. It's always delightful to visit with you and look forward to continuing this conversation. Me too. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate your time. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the ESG Report. The ESG Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.